You're listening to the Men's Health Foundation podcast. I'm David Watson. I'm Marcus Boso. Men's Health Foundation is a nonprofit healthcare provider for all men, specializing in gay men's health here in Los Angeles. Each episode, we welcome members of our care team to discuss trending topics in medicine and wellness to help you take charge of your health. Today on the Men's Health Foundation podcast, we are welcoming Brandon Simpson, AMFT. He is our behavioral health specialist here at Men's Health Foundation. And Brandon joined our team as an associate marriage and family therapist. He received his undergraduate degree in psychology from New York State and received his graduate degree in clinical psychology from Antioch University, Los Angeles. Brandon has worked in both the nonprofit sector for the last five years in HIV prevention and in the private sector as an associate sex addiction therapist. Brandon believes that therapy is a collaborative process, and when people are seeking therapy, it is because they either need support, want to make a change, or feel like they need the space to talk. As a therapist, Brandon is here to guide you through your difficulties so you have a tool built to help you through the challenges you face. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. We're so excited to have this conversation. We've actually gotten a lot of requests for this from our coworkers. And, um, you know, it's that time of year um, where we're all wondering about seasonal affective disorder and the days being shorter, uh, being a little colder, and folks just maybe feeling a little down. So for folks that maybe, you know, need that introduction, how could you describe what is a seasonal affective disorder? Yeah, so seasonal affective disorder is a depressive disorder. So what that means is you're feeling down, you feel hopelessness, you feel overwhelming sadness, it's helplessness, you feel like you're letting everyone down. And it's not the normal, what you normally feel throughout the day, because we all, our moods always shift, but this is a grandiose feeling of it. So instead, usually people ride at about a three, four maybe, which is maintainable, but especially with depressive disorders and especially seasonal um, affective disorder, what it does is it feels more like a seven or an eight. And the difference between seasonal affective disorder and a depress a regular depressive disorder, like major depressive disorder, is that seasonal affective disorder only happens when it's the winter months, which is really interesting. And when those days are shorter, it's colder, things are starting to shift because everything shifts as soon as it gets colder here in Los Angeles, especially. <laughs> exactly. For sure. So how would that uh, factor in for someone that, I mean, of course, everybody has, you know, um, ups and downs throughout the year, things going on, regardless of what time of year it is. Um, so what might that look like for someone? Would that, um, would that some, be something that would you say affects everyone or just some people? It definitely affects some people more than others. You know, some, like I said, some people may feel this at a three or a four, which is pretty out of scale of one to 10, which is pretty manageable. You feel that hopelessness, that low energy, but you're like, you know what, I can power through the day. But people who experience depressive disorders and especially seasonal affective disorder, it's a lot more like a seven or an eight. And it's one of those things of, yeah, I have no energy and I don't want to get out of bed. I have no social battery, and the last thing I want to go do is be social with my family or with my friends. Go to that Friendsgiving, go to that company holiday party. I'm just wiped out from the day, and it's the battery is really quick to deplete. Mm. Do you feel like that's something that, um, how would someone know whether or not they have it? How, how would they self-diagnose that? 
well, Google isn't the best thing. <laughs> but, you know, it's always great to kind of keep track of your moods. I know a lot of people, especially starting since the pandemic, really, in 2020, people really started keeping mood journals. They start recording how their moods are going, how they if they felt successful through the day, what were their main thoughts through, that guided them through the day. And that's a really great tool to do because you can track the ups and downs in your mood and be able to notice when it's, hey, I've been pretty consistently for the past like two months on a really heavy decline and I don't know what to do. It can actually go down to the point of how your brain is constructed, how your brain picks up those um, hormones, picked up those neurotransmitters and stuff like that. Even the even the content of what makes up your brain is sometimes different than others. So it can go a little deeper than just mental health. It can also go into your environment. Mm -hmm. You know, as starting usually in November is when daylight savings time goes. And that it's instantly a wicked change. You know, you have to start what we fall back in November. So you do get that extra hour of sleep, but the body's not used to getting an extra hour of sleep. Mm. So you get that extra hour of sleep. Now your whole routine is messed up. Mm. It starts getting darker earlier. You know, I drive home from West Hollywood to Koreatown. Usually try to do it by like 4, 30, 5 o'clock. And it is pitch black yeah, when right. I am driving through LA. And that's the last thing I like, especially since of my stigmatism makes it so much worse for me. Yeah. It it's gets so cold. Hard. It gets colder, you know. What, the average temperature today is supposed to be 70? We're used to 80s and 90s. Right. It's cloudy. Um, I think as I was walking over here from one building to another, I felt rain. Rain puts people in a really big mood. Um, it's a relaxing mood that we usually tend to get in. And it's if it lasts for too long, it starts feeling off for us. Mm -hmm. what's, the, what's the science behind that? Like, how do we understand or explain what's going on yeah so with seasonal affective disorder it's really interesting because we use it it's a diagnosable condition but it's actually very little is known for, about it because it, so much goes into it and it's really common for it to show up for three four months out of the year and then go away so there's nothing really consistent to show hey these are my symptoms these are my um, this is what I'm presenting with and what's happening to me. So it's really hard. But um, some studies have been coming out of like Alaska and Canada and Russia because they're the locations that get the most amount of darkness for the most amount of time. I think in Juneau, Alaska, it's six months mm. that they just go in complete wow. darkness and they're okay. Like they're used to it by this point. And what they've know and what we know about the body is it's really reactive to our environment, mm -hmm. especially with the sun. The sun produces vitamin D. It helps um, really enhance a lot of our bodily functions because the sun is a really big catalyst for us. It, it impacts the food that we eat. It helps us feel more motivated. And it once we don't have that anymore, the body reacts to it. Mm. So it sounds like vitamin D is involved in kind of activating certain neurotransmitters, mm -hmm. um, which if people might be lacking because of 
vitamin D deficiency during darker months or something like that, then the neurotransmitters will affect how we feel. Yeah. The UV from the sun, even though um, it's not the best for us, it does help a little bit in um, starting the, a lot of the bodily processes and stuff like that. Um, our circadian rhythm is based off of the sun. When the sun starts up, that's when our sleep-wake schedule really starts. Now that we have less sun, that's thrown out of the loop when you don't get quality sleep. That really messes with the mind and the body functions, mm. and it's it's a culmination. So that's why there's a lot of research on it, but also not a lot is known because it's such a multifaceted kind of thing that someone experiences. We've talked about it starting, you know, around the fall, around November, maybe. Um, when can people expect to start to see some relief? When does this cycle usually start to wrap up? Unfortunately, here in Los Angeles, it's usually in April. But oh, that's wow. also that's also <laughs> because that's when our rainy seasons end. Oh, good point. When we usually get the, we usually still get the 80 degree weather and the sunshine and stuff like that in November and December. Mm -hmm. But it's really around... You know, the midway in December all the way until March, maybe even April, that that's when it starts getting the gloomiest. Mm -hmm. It starts um, becoming really cold. You know, at night, it usually gets down to the 50s, which from upstate New York, I'm not not okay, okay with it, but I can live with it. Sure. Um, but I can understand for people here in Los Angeles who are used to the 90s to the 70s at night that it's a really big switch for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's and then January starts and that's when the rain starts. Yeah, yeah. I, I also feel like there's something about the holiday season and once that's over, there's this big sense of a void, you mm -hmm. know, after the party. Um, and I just feel like it's so tough that that's happening at the same time that we're having all of this gloomy weather. Um, you know, for folks that, you know, this is maybe resonating with. Uh, what are some What are some tips that they could consider? What What's some advice you might give them? Yeah, so some really good tips if you're starting to feel down and you're noticing that it's um, extensive. Routine is the best thing for the body. The body loves routine. The body loves quality. So it's creating a day to day routine. It's putting in those things in your day to day that create that serotonin, those those happy hormones for us, that dopamine, that excitement that we tend to get that gives us a sense of fulfillment. So if you love exercising, put that into your schedule. If you love meditating and you need some positive affirmations, put that into your schedule because the mind is really great. If you can trick the mind, you can trick the body. Mm -hmm. And it's finding those things that can help release that serotonin and that dopamine that'll help get you through this. Oh, I love that. I love um, the idea of building a routine uh, because some people might not have that. So they don't realize, oh, I'm just feeling a little unstructured mm -hmm. during the day. And what can I do? Yeah. And I mean, the best thing is at night. You know, what do we do as soon as we're done f with our day and we're trying to relax? We go right on our phones. Mm hmm that we get lost into the wormhole that is everyone's iPhone, everyone's TikTok, everyone's social media, and it throws off our balance. It's the blue light that tends to come off of our phones that really hits our circadian rhythm, which is why they recommend after a certain time, what you tend to do is you turn it to the orange light because it helps the trick the brain into, oh, it's starting to get dark outs and it helps trick it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's creating that routine, you know, people can stay on TikTok for hours, hmm. 
you know, by the time they go on it, it's eight o'clock. They're like, okay, cool. I'll only watch a few videos. And then they fall through the wormhole right. and it's 11. And yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to go to bed now because I have to be up for work at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. You blink once and you're like, oh my goodness, a few hours have passed. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do people do if, uh, you know, when you're feeling this way, how do they navigate? What's your recommendation for people to navigate just their relationships in their life? If they're feeling kind of down, they feel like they maybe they don't have the the reserves or the energy to give that they don't, would want to. Mm-hmm. I think that's okay. Communicate that. Be accepting. Acknowledge that piece of you. Because if you try to fight it, you're going to try to pull 110% when you can only, you know, you can only give 20 or 30%. And that's okay. It's knowing your limitations, acknowledging that limitation, and really communicating that to the people around you. If you know you have like four or five like things going on because it's the holidays, everyone's having a holiday party, everyone, you know, from Thanksgiving had a Friendsgiving going on, everyone's going to start having a New Year's party planned, you know, really let them know. I can only, hey, I'll stop by. It's not, I'm not going to stay for the whole time. I'm only going to stay for like an hour and then I'm going to go because I need to recharge myself and it's just the way I feel. Mm. And it's being honest with that piece because I think what we really tend to do is we try to think of it as a fluke that it's only just, you know, that moment or that space that we're feeling it and we try to push through it. But then it's usually more of a detriment if you try to push through it instead of recognizing it. Mm-hmm. Why is that? We're very productive here in the United States. We think that if we're not doing 110%, then we're not a success. We don't, we're not having a successful day. Um, I think it's just the culture that we have here instead of really taking the time, even here in Los Angeles, I think the culture is a little more different than, you know, I grew up in New York. So New York is very, I'm going to put my foot to the brick, my foot to the brick. I am going to work as much as I can, as hard as I can here in LA. It's about the same, but I think because here in Los Angeles, we've taken accountability for our mental health and we put the emphasis on health in general here in Southern California People are a little more acknowledging that they can't always do 110%, but there's still that shame and guilt for not being able to do it every so often that pops up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I for sure observe that and have experienced that, you know, um, kind of the expectations on yourself mm-hmm. to show up to every party that you're invited to and to present in a way that that matches the overall like jolly mood of the yeah. holidays. Um, but it sounds like just turning down those expectations for yourself will would help your brain and help you cope better. Oh yeah. People love to see their calendar, their social calendar full for some reason. And I definitely understand that if you um, have your social calendar full, it's very predictable, but what they tend to do is it gives them anxiety when it's not filled. Hmm. And usually what I tell people is if you see a blank spot, fill it anyways, but label it as self care. That that's that point in your calendar where you're going to disconnect, whether, you know, at 10 o'clock you have a meeting with one friend for breakfast and then at at noon you have lunch with another friend. From that 11 to 12 spots, just do something that you like. Sit in your car, listen to some meditations, go on a a 20-minute run really quick and do some self-care so that you can carry yourself through the rest of your social calendar. Mm. What are some other things that people could consider um, as sort of resources or tools that they could use to help them get through um, this time of year experiencing seasonal affective disorder? 
Yeah, so it's also really great to talk to professionals about this. Um, we do have our social circles, we do have our support group, and they can help a lot. But I know if this is a fluke, or not even a fluke, but this is a pattern that you have for three, four months, it's re sometimes really hard for us to communicate it, and then to communicate with rebuttals. So when people are, well, are you really feeling like that? Um, what do you mean you're depressed? And stuff like that. We Everyone tends to get those questions when you communicate your emotions or your state of mind. So sometimes friend groups are good in supporting, but it's also good to have the support of like professional help, like a therapist and stuff like that. Therapist, medical doctor, psychiatrist are really great helps because they'll be able to, one, either formally diagnose you or be able to really understand what the pattern is and they'll be able to help you move forward. Let the professionals do the heavy lifting and you can just follow through. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like blue light therapy works? There's mixed reviews. Um, I definitely know, you know, just from my experiences, the light that's in a room definitely puts my mood in different spaces. If it's a yellow light and I'm trying to focus on color and stuff like that, but the yellow light is messing up the color, it's going to start giving me a headache because my brain knows what color it's supposed to be, but the light's affecting it. Yeah. Um, the same thing like in white lights, if you get too much white light, it starts giving you migraines and headaches and things like that. But there's also been some positive stuff out of it. So um, like I said, up in Alaska, Canada, and um, even parts of Russia where they get six months of darkness. They have um, sun imitating lights. Mm -hmm. So what they'll do is they'll install them into their home so that when your lights are flicked on, it's giving you, it's giving the same wavelength as the sun. Mm. So it tricks the body into thinking you're actually getting the sunlight and it still helps with all of those processes and stuff like that. Mm. Nice. I think I'm the same way with um, warm versus white light. Mm -hmm. I can't have white, the white lights on in my room for too long or else it, I just feel weird but then when i have a warm light i feel cozier i feel mm -hmm. more relaxed yeah so it definitely i think makes a difference yeah and it's it's always that joke of you never turn on the big light in your in your house you always turn on all the other lights yes so you can create the mood and the atmosphere because light does that right oh totally uh, how about vitamin d supplements do you feel like those help um, that is based off of a medical provider's recommendation. Sure. Um, you definitely bring it up. Um, a lot of medical providers have different views on vitamins. Vitamins are one of those things that we say people should get. And depending on your labs and stuff like that, they may be working, they may not be. So it's always good to consult a medical provider with that so they can tell you exactly what supplements you should be taking and what will actually be useful. Mm, okay. What are some other ways besides um, going into the sun or getting exposure mm -hmm. to sunlight that other people can try to raise their vitamin D levels? That's a good question. This, those are the supplements. So okay. it's the only way we get vitamin D is from the sunlight. By UV radiation from the sun, it um, does something within our body that produces vitamin D. I'm not the person to explain that whole process to you. <laughs> but there's also supplements and stuff like that to be able to help get that vitamin D to help those processes. Mm. But it's also how can you, um, if you're not getting exactly vitamin D, how can you trick the body into knowing it's getting some some sort of supplementation for it? Mm -hmm. And that's where the ser serotonin and the dopamine in the brain tend to come in. Mm -hmm. You do something that you really enjoy, that you find really great connection with. 
whether it's a person, an activity, or something like that, or task, and that'll help shoot off a lot of serotonin and dopamine in the brain, and it'll help reverse a lot of what you're feeling. Mm. I like that. Like a a vitamin in the form of a another mm-hmm. person. Yeah. <laughs> Human connection is great. Um, we are social beings. Um, humans are social animals. And when we are isolated, it doesn't tend to help our mental health. It actually creates a lot more problems when we're isolated than if we are within a group that we uh, are accustomed to or a group that we really like to be in. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like uh, if there's a digital interaction... Um, like you're texting a friend or something like that, it, does that give any of the same benefits or would, is it important that this is like an in-person experience? No. So definitely texting and reaching out phone calls and things like that are just as beneficial because it's playing on that connection you have. Mm-hmm. You're playing that connection heartstring and every single time you flick the string, it releases the serotonin and the dopamine. So for example, if you're in person, you get a hug from someone. You know, you're going to fire off, you know, seven to eight levels of serotonin and dopamine. Whereas a text message or a phone call can shoot off just as much, but it's more realistically going to be like five or six. Mm-hmm. So it's not the same just because of the type of connection. It also depends on the connection that you really like. If you're not a hugger, then you're going to be like, mm, <laughs> this isn't comfortable, but I'll text you how much I care about you. Mm-hmm. So it also depends on the person. Mm. I think that's good to know. Um, some people might uh, be weary of being around other people in person mm-hmm. if they're experiencing uh, this and going through this. So it's good to know that they can at least reach out through their phone or FaceTime or something like that. Yeah. Reaching out to your support system is one of the most things that I uh, recommend to patients when they feel alone or when they're about to go through something really difficult. Always reach out to your social network. It doesn't have to be a phone call. It could be a text message. Hey, this is what I'm doing. I feel nervous. And you know when you get that text message that hypes you up, it makes you smile a little bit, it gets you that little pep in your step, and you're oh. feeling a little bit better than what you did beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you feel like um, when it comes to New Year's resolutions? I feel like this is something that often comes up at the beginning of the year, especially when it comes to people's health. Um, where there's oftentimes a health-related resolution in people's minds. And it's just funny to think about that in the context of, you know, it being sort of a gloomy time of year where folks are maybe feeling more under the weather than they would otherwise. Um, How have you experienced that when it comes to, you know, the clients that you see or the folks that you've spoken with? Um, Do you feel like resolutions are inherently a good thing or a bad thing or something to approach with caution? Yeah, so... New Year's resolutions are great. It depends on what your resolution is. If your expectation is to then go to the gym seven days a week, do uh, two hours of working out every day, seven days a week and stuff like that, but you've never been to the gym, you have not worked out since high school sports and stuff like that, it's going to be harder to meet that resolution. So what I always tell patients, if they decide to do a New Year's resolution, let's work on it together. Hmm. We love to have our cake and eat it too. Well, let's hmm. let's do that within moderation. Okay, you want to go to the gym seven days a week. Okay, does your schedule account for that? No? Okay, cool. Let's start out with one day a week. You haven't worked out in a while. 
Um, you don't have a gym membership yet, and I know the gym membership things are starting. They're going to start having all of the deals on the TVs and the Facebooks and things like that. Let's let's work up to that. Let's do one day a week first for one hour. How does that feel? Feels great. Okay, cool. Do that for two, three weeks. Do it for a month. Then after that month, then you increase it to two days or three days if you feel like you can do it. Oh. And it's having a gradual where they can then ultimately meet their goal. But I think what tends to happen is people start out the gates thinking that their end goal is going to be how they start it. And so it's usually trying to pull back on it, um, especially with diets. You know, people say they're going to go keto, they're going to go paleo, they're going to go vegetarian, they're going to go vegan. Okay, so what's what's the first step to that? Do you know anything about a vegan diet? Do you know what is vegan, how to find out if it's vegan, if it's not? Um, do you know what it means to have that kind of diet? No? Okay, cool. How about we set you up with a dietitian first? She'll explain everything, or he will, and you can figure out exactly what it means to go vegan. Um, especially with vegan and vegetarian diets, it's missing a lot of our supplements that we get from eating meat and um, animal-based products. So let's talk to a medical provider to see what kind of supplements that we can kind of put in there first. I, I like that because it uh, lets them build up the momentum mm -hmm. and um, see little steps and, and little progress, yeah. little by little, so that once you get um, each step out of the way, then you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. That adds momentum and you can build up to, like you said, increasing to two or three days if your yeah. schedule allows. Um, and I think that goes a long way. It uh, goes back to just being gentle with yourself and not putting too high of expectations mm -hmm. and also going back to the culture of like, I want fast results and like now and I have to do it, like all of it now. Instant gratification is what we strive for and we get, we get really disappointed and there is a high level of shame and guilt that tend to come along with it if we can't meet that goal because we love instant gratification. Do you feel like these issues are you know, impacting men in any unique way or gay men in a unique way when it comes to uh, seasonal affective disorder or um, any of the kind of pressures that we've been talking about? Yes, men and gay men are highly hard on themselves. Um, if they are not doing 110%, they are instantly failing. That's mm. that I think that is the mindset in a lot of men. And I think especially in the culture that we have of uh, in our views of men, albeit it is starting to shift. You know, mm -hmm. we're starting to see the shift where that provider that you need to be doing 110%, if not you're failing mentality, is starting to shift. But it also depends on where you grew up. You know, being mm -hmm. um, being from the Midwest, being from the East Coast, even being from the Pacific Northwest, um, really can have fluctuating views on manhood mm. let alone then you add queerness or lgbtqi identity on top of it and it throws into this whirlwind of needing to show accomplishments mm. and needing to sh prove yourself ultimately oh i get that um for like the culture for men you know to kind of prove your worth and prove your value through products or things mm -hmm. you produce and things you do, your actions. Mm -hmm. And men, I think, can be taught that you have to do that, you mm -hmm. know, to show up and be a man and, and just do all the things. You have to be a man. You have to 
sustain yourself. You're an even better man if you can sustain yourself and you can sustain someone else and you can guide them through it and do everything in the book from A to Z really well. And if you can't do it, then what kind of man really are you? Mm -hmm. And then you add in queerness on top of it. Oh, well, that's already a step down. You right. already, you know, instead of going on the on the very highest pedestal, you're already a step down. Mm. So you have to do more. You have to be even better. You have to not show as much queerness so you can be as close to that top pedestal as you can, mm. which shows in a lot of shame. It shows in a lot of guilt. It shows in a lot of toxic masculinity that we see in the communities and stuff like that. Mm. And it's always trying to just one-up someone and... It's really interesting to see, especially if you're not that type of person. You're like, I only asked you what the weather was like. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I asked like, you what time yeah. it was. I didn't ask for like the whole history of time zones and everything. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like we could have a whole nother conversation <laughs> just when it comes to men's mental health. And I'm sure that we will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having said that. Um, as we navigate this over the next couple of months, um, I want to say thank you for all of the resources that you've provided, all of the advice. For sure, I want to remind folks that, um, Brandon, that you are a resource for our patients that we have here at Men's Health Foundation. If folks are interested in learning more about Brandon, learning more about our resources here when it comes to behavioral health, they can go to menshealthfound.org. Before we wrap up, Brandon, I wanted to ask you, is there anything we hadn't covered that you wanted to make sure and mention? No, I think we did a a really great job on covering, you know, how do you identify seasonal affective disorder? What are some of the root causes? And definitely what are some things that you can do to help alleviate some of the symptoms? And if, you know, the symptoms aren't being alleviated as quick as you would like them, you know, definitely seek uh, professional help. Seek the help of a mental health counselor, a medical provider, a psychiatrist, um, even lean on your social supports. The more support that you have through this time will make this time feel a lot less shorter and a lot less intense. Awesome. Really nice. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men's Health Foundation podcast. The information and opinions shared in this podcast are for educational purposes only. For medical advice, please talk with your primary care physician or a medically licensed professional. To learn more about Men's Health Foundation, please visit our website at menshealthfound.org. You can also follow us on Instagram at menshealthfound and subscribe to our YouTube channel.